she body surfs in the ocean, getting sand down the neckline of her suit. As a child, when she took off her bathing suit, she would find handfuls of sand in the crotch. She lowers herself into the ocean to wash away the mottled clumps against her stomach, but then she sees a good wave coming. She stands and turns her back to it and springs onto the crest. The trick always is to catch the crest. Hands pointed, eyes shut, she is a bullet through the white surge. She scrapes her naked hip and thigh against the bottom. She crawls onto the sand, the undertow carving hollows beneath her shins. A wave she has embraced for hits her back and neck. She wipes the tangle of hair from her face, the water from her eyes. She sees a shape on the beach that wasn't there before. A tanned chest, a splotch of red. A man in bathing trunks is holding a pink cloth, wide and lurid, before her. I've been sent with the towel. You're Sydney, right? How extraordinary if she weren't. Not another body in the water for a thousand yards. Inside the house, the furniture is white. A good idea in theory, not in practice. The slipcovers on the two sofas are marked with faint smudges and worried stains, navy lint from a woolen sweater. Fine grains of sand have repeatedly scratched the surface of the maple floor as if it had been lightly scoured. On the stairs down to the basement sits a basket of old newspapers, a wicker catch-all for objects that are not part of the neutral decor but might prove useful, a sparkling purple leash, a neon pink pad of post-it notes, a day-glow orange life vest, practicality in sports rife with unnatural color. Although Mrs. Edwards gives the impression of having inhabited the cottage for decades, perhaps even generations, already there are family rituals, oft-repeated memories, old canning jars full of sea glass used as doorstops. They have owned the house only since 1997. Before then, Mr. Edwards confided, they simply rented other cottages nearby. In contrast to his wife, he seems a man incapable of deceit. Sidney shares a bathroom with the guests a couple from New York who have come in search of antiques. In the morning, there are aqua spills of toothpaste in the sink, pink spots of makeup on the mirror. Used tissues are tucked behind the spigots. Sydney routinely washes out the sink with a hand towel before she uses it. She stuffs the towel into the hamper in the hallway on her way back to her room. It was obvious immediately to Sydney that the Edwards's 18-year-old daughter, Julie, was slow that no amount of tutoring would adequately prepare her for the stellar senior year of high school Mrs. Edwards hopes for, a year that is almost certain, in Sidney's opinion, to defeat the girl. Mrs. Edwards speaks knowledgeably of Mount Holyoke and Swarthmore, Skidmore as a safety. Sidney can only blink with wonder. Julie is pliant, eager to please, and extraordinarily beautiful, her skin clear and pink, her eyes a sea-glass blue. Sydney can see that the girl who seems willing to study all the hours of the day will disappoint her mother and break her father's heart, the latter not because she won't get into the colleges Mrs. Edwards seems so knowledgeable about, but because she will try so hard and fail. Salt encrusts the windows of the house on the diagonal, as if water had been thrown against the glass. The windows out to the porch have to be washed twice a week to provide any appreciation of the view, which is spectacular. Sydney sometimes senses that her presence has upset the family equilibrium. She tries to be available when needed, present but silent when not. 
the brothers will sleep in a room called the boys' dorm. Julie has a room on the ocean side of the house. Mr. and Mrs. Edwards's bedroom looks out over the marshes. The guests, like Sydney, have been relegated to a room with twin beds. Mr. and Mrs. Edwards have invited Sydney to call them by their first names. When she tries to say Anna or Mark, however, the words stick in her throat. She finds other ways to refer to the couple, such as your husband and he and your dad. Sydney's first husband was an air racer. He flew through trees at 250 miles an hour and performed aerobatic stunts over a one-mile course. If he were to graze a gate or become momentarily disoriented by the G's, he would hurtle to the ground and crash. When she could, Sydney went with Andrew to these races, to Scotland and Vienna and San Francisco, and watched him twist his plane in the air.